Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is Primetime Politics on CPAC, the Vote 2019 edition. On a day when the advance polls open for the long weekend, as the campaign landscape now points increasingly to a minority government, and on a day when Conservatives and New Democrats have released their platform costing. We'll crunch the numbers with former Parliamentary Budget Officer Kevin Page, and we'll hear from our panel of party commentators. Pollster David Coletta will be here, and parliamentary journalists as well. The countdown to voting day has begun. Here's the Day 31 campaign primer. (laughs) Conservative leader Andrew Scheer has made more than $15 billion worth of spending promises and tax cut promises and a pledge to erase the deficit in five years. Today in Vancouver, Scheer explained what he'll cut to afford his promises and balance the books. He says he'll find $3 billion every year by cutting foreign aid and corporate welfare. He says he can save $18 billion over five years by spreading existing infrastructure budgets over 15 years instead of 12. There will be savings in the size and operations of government. Scheer promises $5.5 billion in savings over the next five years by freezing the number of full-time federal employees, cutting consultants and travel, and federal office space by 30% by selling federal office buildings. Another $2 billion would be collected in taxes from web and tech giants, Scheer's plan begins with a deficit next year of $23 billion and a surplus of more than $600 million after five years. Liberals measure success in government by how much money they spend. Conservatives measure success in government by actually getting results. And it's essential that we do this because the choice is clear. If we do not get back to a a responsible plan for treating Canadian taxpayers' dollars wisely, we will see those massive deficits threaten social programs and lead to massive tax hikes. The NDP also released its costed platform today. The party says it can raise more than $30 billion next year to pay for a national pharmacare plan, dental care and more affordable housing units. It would boost revenues by $8 billion a year by increasing the capital gains tax from 50% to 75% on profits from the sale of a second home or cottage and on investments such as stocks and bonds. That would affect everyone, not just the wealthiest of Canadians. The NDP leader is also promising to raise $6.3 billion next year by increasing the corporate income tax rate by three points. Another $6 billion with his 1% tax on the super wealthy and another $5.8 billion by cracking down on tax havens. The NDP would run a deficit of nearly $33 billion next year with no timetable to balance the budget. Singh rejected suggestions his proposals will drive businesses out of Canada. If you look at our plans, we're actually going to save businesses a lot as well. With things like universal pharmacare, it's going to reduce the costs for businesses. Per employee, we've uh, approximated about $600 in saving per employee with this plan. So it's a savings for businesses. Liberal leader Justin Trudeau began the day at a rally with supporters in Ottawa. The Liberals have already released their full platform. Justin Trudeau didn't bother to wait to see the Conservative version before warning voters what to expect. You don't release your best work at 6 o'clock on a Friday of a long weekend. (laughs) They have 
no plan. And we remember, particularly all of you in Ontario, remember well what Doug Ford did. No platform, and then when he got elected, having said he was for the people, what did he do? Cuts, cuts, cuts. Green Party leader Elizabeth May has already unveiled her party platform, and today she focused on foreign policy and the link to climate change and the failings of the Liberal leader during his four years in government. He wants to be seen as a champion for liberalism, for, for trade, for a society that, that does do peacekeeping, all those things he projects as image. But we still don't have the muscle. We've got to invest in diplomacy, we've got to rethink what our military does, we've got to put it all through the lens of climate change, which means you can't pretend that you can build a pipeline over here and fight climate change over here and have that make any sense. And that's the kind of day it's been. Day 31 of the campaign. Voting day, just 10 days away. Alrighty. Thanks very much, everyone. Well, the advanced polls open today across Canada, and if the student vote is any indication, we may see a jump in voter turnout in this election. Here's what's going on today. Marked the first day of four days of advanced voting over the long weekend. Polls across Canada are open from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. from now until Monday night. Now, numbers on the advanced student campus vote are out, and they are double the turnout from the last campaign. 111,300 students have voted on campus votes uh, in special ballots that allow them to vote uh, where they're going to school. That's compared to 70,000 in the last campaign, but we should note there were more polling stations this time than there were last time. Well, let's get an independent assessment of the Conservative and NDP platform costings released today. And to do that, uh, it's just 10 days, of course, before the vote. Uh, let's bring in Kevin Page, who was Canada's first parliamentary budget officer. He's now the founding president and CEO of the Institute of Fiscal Studies and Democracy at the University of Ottawa. Good to see you again. Good Thanks for be being here. Let, let's start with the Conservative uh, platform. And, and uh, you have a grading system that you use, which is yeah. interesting. So w what grade do you give it? Well, we're still in the process of grading because the, the embargo hasn't been lifted that long, so we're still writing. But like, it definitely will be a pass, and uh, we I think it probably merits a, a good rating for fiscal responsibility. There is a commitment to get back to balanced budget. That is a harder fiscal target for many people than a declining debt to GDP ratio, and there's spending rules built into that. Um, and you know, I think, and, and again, I think it gets a pass on on the assumptions and a, and a pass, so to speak, on on transparency, not higher grades than that, but you know, overall, it, it's uh, it gets an overall pass grade. Right, the transparency, Patty, like a, you know, those are always concerns you raise, and this one, I'm assuming, is the same one you raised about the NDP that it's only 10 days out, should have been released earlier. Yeah, I think right from the get-go, absolutely, you could. It's too late. It should have been released at least a week ago. But I think you know more than that. I think what we saw today, and you know, we saw a lot of transparency and kudos to the Conservative government when they announced initiatives, their big tax cut initiatives, the universal tax cut or changes to tax credit rates on home heating fuel or you know, more benefits for maternity and paternity. Because um, you know, there are a lot of transparency, there's press releases and backgrounders and PBO costing. And today, which, you know, again, if you roll up the numbers, we saw you know, annually over the medium term like $20 billion worth of savings. Most of that coming from the spending side, big cuts to infrastructure, big cuts to government operations. These are commitments. So, so transparent in the sense they're telling us they have to do this to get back to balance. They're willing to do it. But actually a lot of risk along the way to find those savings. Tell me about that. What red flags do you see here about this platform? Yeah, I think it's the fiscal strategy of saying that you know we need to do this. You know, balanced budget is really important over the medium term, and we need to do this in a way that promotes competitiveness and productivity. And again, if you look at how the, the you know how this 
the measures roll out over the platform, we f over the platform, we front end load the the deficit finance tax cut, so people like me are going to get a tax cut, you know, uh, as early, starting as early as next year, and then the, the big cuts that come to infrastructure in the in the outer years to get back to balance into into government operations. So, like again, if you really want to boost productivity, you want to strengthen growth in Canada's growth prospects in the future, you don't cut in infrastructure in half. Mm. And Let, let's come back to the infrastructure, but on the on the tax cut side, uh, so yeah, deficit funded tax cuts, but aren't they all doing that? They all do. <laughs> so it's a, yeah, they're all kind of in that same boat. Yeah. They're all providing tax breaks for some some sector of the Canadian economy and, and some people in the economy with borrowed money, basically. Yeah. yeah, and I think we begin some of the other, and I agree, and I think what is like why we score this a good rating for fiscal responsibility, I think they're making a case that our economy is relatively strong, we shouldn't be running these deficits, we're not going to get your limit these deficits too quickly, but again, that temptation, I still want to, you know, I want to address this affordability issue, I want to cut people's taxes, I want to get that in earlier in the platform, and the, the difficult stuff comes later in the platform. Talk to me about the infrastructure piece again, uh, that's that's a signature sort of part of this uh, 18 billion in savings uh, over five years, I think it is, by pushing, they're not saying they're cutting any infrastructure spending. They're just going to push it out over 15 years instead of 12. Um, <clears throat> how do you view that? Yeah, it's just kind of an, uh, strategically not a good decision, I mean, from the point of view of growth prospects. Uh, again, if you think about how, you know, the fiscal weight of infrastructure and the importance in the economy, the Feds are spending roughly $10 billion a year annually now over the medium term, like, which is up significantly because the Liberals are, have put in these additional spends on infrastructure. The municipalities, the provinces, they love it because they're dependent on this, this sort of money to get to deal with their infrastructure Although needs. they fall back on the platform saying the current PBO is saying that, you know, it's hard to know whether that money's gone out the door, where it's gone, if, how much good it's doing. Yeah. I mean, they're relying on that, I, I think, as the sort of political cover to say, look, it's not working anyway, so we're going to get it back together, make sure it works, and spread it over more time. Yeah, but they're saying we'll get it back together. I mean, absolutely address the problem. If the problem is getting this money out the door, getting, you know, having good infrastructure plans, uh, working with the provinces and municip municipalities in a better way, that makes sense to me. But if the plan is to say, okay, we're just going to cut in half the federal spend from $10 billion to about uh, you know, four or five billion dollars, which will be left in the framework after these large cuts. That you know, that's definitely going to have an impact. And so, not necessarily me the best choice to get back to balance. And in and in the other savings, they're basically freezing staff levels in the public right. service, selling off real estate, selling off real estate, and some of these and, you know changes to procurements. Like some of these measures have been around a long time. Those are not easy savings. Uh, what is easy to do is to change, you know, the, the tax law come budget 2020 and reduce taxes or changes tax credits, et cetera. They actually define those savings and to roll those savings, they're back end loaded. That, that will be difficult to do. So bottom line, does this say, uh, if there's disagreement on approaches, is this a credible... It's credible, absolutely. Yeah. So, but people again should know what they're buying into. And uh, again, this, the, the the size of those savings in the outer years. Again, people like me, we look at those numbers. Like that's about that's a double digit cut to what we call direct program spending. You know, over a, you know over this five year period, that's a big cut. So there will there will be impacts to national defense. There will be impacts to environmental you know spending, fisheries and oceans. Like that's where those cuts play out in direct program spending. If you look at that, how much money will be left on the conservative platform in the five years, you know, relative to the size of the economy, we're going back to the 1990s. Mm -hmm. 
So it's a pretty significant cut. NDP platform got some more costing out on that today. I know you you looked at it. What, what, what does it get? What yeah, kind of grade? It's, it's, we finished that. You know, we had this you know, longest. We have a note up. It's on our website. We give it an overall pass you know, rating. It's, so it, it definitely passes with respect to to like these assumptions, and you know, it gets a close pass on fiscal responsibility. Uh, again, weak on the transparency side, and on the fiscal responsibility side. Again, they're you know they're again it's based on a declining debt to GDP ratio. But one thing they have in there is a lot of prudence, which we've seen in none of the other parties. They're saying we recognize a lot of these measures that we're trying to do on the spending and revenue side. There's a lot of uncertainty, so we're putting in this big prudence factor. Um, but yeah, on the transparency side, they're saying literally they can get thirty billion dollars out the door next year. Again, thirty billion dollars. We're a two point three trillion dollar economy. We spend three hundred thirty billion dollars a year. That would be historic. And again, a lot of the, in terms of additional revenues, it would be like you know we're talking about new taxes that we've never seen before, and e-commerce taxes, wealth taxes, luxury taxes. So again, credible. It hangs together, but hangs shake, together. You know? Yeah, but we've never seen anything like that right. before. Uh, I'm curious when. So they built in. You, you saw prudence in it. Uh, which is we don't see in the other plans. I'm, I'm curious to why that's significant these days. Like, what if you don't put prudence in and your budget plan is shot all to pieces? Just go spend more money. Just go borrow more money. Yeah. Ride up the deficit further than it is because there's no back-to-balance plan. Yeah. So what does prudence in a, in a platform actually say? Well, I think it's, it's, it should be prudence around an objective. So if your objective is to get to a balanced budget target and you're telling people you're serious about it, I think that we found through the 1990s, early 2000s, certainly a finance minister and then Prime Minister Paul Martin found that like if you tell people you're going to hit these targets and you hit these targets, the bond markets, they love it. Mm -hmm. People, they can expect, people plan based it's a on confidence those things. Builder. Yeah, it builds confidence. Yeah. Okay, Kevin Page, always good to talk to you. Thanks so much. Thank you. Let's bring in our panel of party commentators now and uh, lots to talk about today. Susan Smith is a liberal commentator. Fred Delory is a conservative commentator and Anne McGrath is an NDP commentator. Good to see you all. Uh, Fred, welcome to our panel. Thank the you. first time we've done this. It's good to have you here. Uh, let's start with party platforms. And uh, we had the conservatives platform out just a little while ago. So let's, let's talk about that. Why do you think this is the right platform for the times? Well, it's about affordability. It's about helping Canadians get ahead. That's what our narrative and message has been uh, for this entire campaign. Uh, and this is focused on uh, tax cuts for Canadians and families and uh, and also getting back to balanced budgets. That's something that's incredibly important. We have runaway spending right now in Canada. Uh, we have, uh, you know, we have dark clouds on the horizons. We could be heading to recessions uh, at some point, but we're already out of control spending. So we need to, we need to rein that in um, and at the same time help Canadians get ahead. Okay. Um, Susan, let me bring you on on that. Why is what the Liberals are offering? I mean, we do have, we now have two, two parties at the table here that are not especially concerned uh, with the path to balance at this point. It's about uh, keeping the economy chugging along. And uh, Fred and the Conservatives on the other side saying, look, we got to get back to balance. That's the way to do it. So why is that the wrong approach for, for Canadians? Well, I got up this morning and I read the news, and it said that in September there were 54,000 jobs more added to the uh, added to the Canadian economy in the month of September, um, and that the the unemployment rate in the country is at 5.5 percent, which is continues to be historic 40-year lows. So what that tells me is what the government, the Trudeau government, has been doing, is working, and that is investing in, in investing in families with the child. Um, tax benefit, investing in communities with infrastructure, and uh, making the trade deals and doing the things that, that need to happen to get this country going. In contrast with the platform uh, that the Conservatives have put out, we're looking at about $53 billion worth of cuts, $14 billion worth of unnamed cuts, 
but what they did name was another $1.5 billion in cuts to the public service. So um, they're talking about putting a whole bunch of people out of work. They're not, a, they're not talking about measures that are going to keep people working. Okay. Uh, I'm going to let you respond to that. Sure. I, mean, I mean, my reading of their proposals in the public service is that they're going to freeze the public service till the budget gets balanced, that they're saying nobody will lose a job, they're not going to deal with sick leave. Contracts, that all stays. Well, uh, that's what Doug Ford told us. I don't know. All right. We'll see. We're, we're looking jobs. for, uh, look, there's lots of savings to be found uh, in government. There's a lot of extra spending that goes on. Uh, Mr. Shears uh, and others have called it March Madness. Around Everybody always says that when they when they go in to, when they want to cut the size of government, and yet the savings mm -hmm. never seem to amount. And we've, we've seen different governments over the years look at savings. There's always something, but it never seems to be what everybody's talking about. Peter, the about. line item in the budget talks about FTEs. That's full-time employees. Right. That's not March Madness. But it talks about freezing them. Well, right, it's, those are big right. numbers no associated with it's, it's that. Because it's, it's because it's an easy thing to communicate to the public because there is a perception uh, around that. But I think it's true that there, there isn't all that much to be said. I mean, Jason Kenney did the same thing. He's got a red tape reduction ministry, I think, now. Uh, and, and, you know, really the only way to do this is to cut jobs. Uh, and, and also to acknowledge that when you uh, cut jobs, not by necessarily firing or laying people off, but through attrition and things like that, it still has an impact because you're still losing those jobs and you're losing those services. And it's and in the common, it was also important. announced today as part of this platform, uh, uh, Fred, that um, they're going to do away with a lot of the consultants. So mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm wondering if, you've, if you freeze the size of public service, and, uh, and I guess this, this gets into a long discussion about what the value of the public service is and how it works, and I think everybody will agree it's valuable, but the idea is, okay, so if, you, if jobs get added because uh, there's more work to do in theory, and if you freeze the jobs, there's still more work to do, you bring in consultants, but this proposal from the Conservatives today says we're going to do away with a lot of the consultants too. We don't need consultants, so I'm wondering how, how that works. Yeah. Well, there's a weird uh, process in the Canadian government, it seems, uh, has worked out where people work in the, we have full-time employees and then we hire all these extra consultants, which cost hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, what we need to be doing is having uh, investment in the bureaucracy and putting people to work there. Um, and that's where I think we'll find a lot of savings. At the end of the day, we're also, like, uh, during this budget process, the Parliamentary Budget Office, uh, we looked into the infrastructure spending of the Liberals. And uh, they had a $187 million program, a billion dollar program they set up. And when the PBO went to infrastructure, they don't know where a lot of this money went or where it's going. They can't track it. They don't know what's happening. So we need to go into that as well and find out where this money is and then and actually get things built in this to country. Be, to be clear, to be clear, it's pushing off. You're going to save $18 billion uh, by, by pushing off, by, by turning this infrastructure spending from a 12-year program into a 15-year program. And actually get things built. And actually, but So, so w w where, where's the savings? Well, it's over time that happens, right? Because it's right. not an annual. So a little less spent each yeah. year, yeah. Uh, spread over more yeah. time. But you're still going to spend the same amount of money at the end of the day. Mm. But, but, it, is but it saves annual. It is true that Mr. Shearer said that, the, that, that he had already announced all the big cuts. And then uh, what he presented today, the, the largest cuts were ones that had never been announced. Mm. I feel like we, I, I closed my eyes listening to Mr. Shearer, and I felt like I was listening to Stephen Harper all over again. And I felt like, I feel like this platform is a bunch of little incremental things. There's no big vision for the country except to chop jobs and to chop spending. And it didn't work the last time. And whether you like Trudeau or not, um, you can't deny the fact that our economy is working well, that there are more people working than ever have been, that investment is up in this country, that people are, that things are getting built and, and people are employed. Yeah. And, and families have money to make some choices. They don't have every, not every family has every dollar that they need. Government's always trying to do that. But the best thing you can do is have an economy that's working, where people are working. So if, if, 
if if there's value in, I'm going to start with that and come back here. If there's value in in spending more money on, on programs, and you're, the Liberals are proposing to spend more, there, again, there's no path to, to balance. Uh, and the the New Democrats, they're proposing to spend 130 billion dollars uh, over the next five years, I think it is, on 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 their programs. So. Uh, why should voters be thinking that more money spent is even better than the more money the Liberals would spend over over and above uh, basically deficit spending? Well, Jagmeet Singh is proposing some really uh, important things like the expansion of our health care system, dental care, pharmacare, he's proposing things in, in affordable housing. So he's got a lot of things that are on the table. He also has some ways of raising money to be able to cover off some of those things. But I think it's also important to remember that many of these things are good economic strategy as well. I think that, uh, like our healthcare system in Canada is good economic strategy, and improving that healthcare system will be good for the economy. Childcare has been proven over and over again to be very good for the economy. It, it, uh, it, it improves the uh, status of women in the workplace and in the economy. It creates jobs. Uh, it, it, it has act it actually contributes to um, to the uh, gross income. I guess it then it becomes this argument. So, like if if. $60 billion in spending over the next five years is a good plan. Why isn't 130 a better the, the plan? Why the, isn't the 270 no. well, the from the Greens the a better plan? The problem with the NDP plan, in a nutshell, is it absolutely stifles any incentive for business investment and growth, whether it's new money coming into the country or for anybody else you think to there are try proposals and move ahead. That, uh, oh my God, 75% capital. Yeah, well, scare business away. It'll scare Canadians from working too hard. I guess there's an old Johnny Carson joke about your income tax form, right? And I think this is the NDP income tax form. How much do you make? How much do you need? Give us the rest. And that's what it feels like from this NDP perspective. There's very little incentive. Uh, from an ND, from the NDP's platform for businesses to grow and invest because they're just going to pull it all back. What about that and then Fred I want you to jump. Well, I just have to say that one of my favorite moments in a campaign is when the Liberals start attacking the NDP. <laughs> and and that's what's happened today. That's what's happening in the last couple of days. Jagmeet Singh has had a very very good campaign. He's done really well in the debates. His personal approval ratings are going through the roof actually, and the party numbers are starting to now follow behind that. So, uh, you know, we become a target and that's when the Liberals start coming after us. The truth is that, Jack, that, that Jagmeet Singh, not only has he had a good campaign, but he's put forward things that people want. Uh, people in this country, there's lots and lots of evidence, are really eager for us to have a pharmacare program. It will be good for people and it'll be good for the economy. Fred, let me get you to weigh in. Was there ever any consideration to, you know, where did the five-year balanced budget, I mean, uh, or does it does it matter that you're, are you, you're happy being where you are, stuck in the middle here between two people who think spending is just fine and now the new normal mm -hmm. is the debt-to-GDP debt to ratio, not balancing books? Well, five years, I mean, it's going to take five years to get the books in order um, after this Liberal government, after the incredible amount of spending that they've been going on. Uh, I will say to the NDP budget, you know, I'll give, or their platform, uh, I'll give them credit for at least having it fully costed. Uh, the Liberals, half of their uh, platform hasn't been costed. It's been, uh, it's basically, it felt like during this campaign they were making it up on the fly. Um, we saw the, the NDP came out with their cell phone uh, plan, which uh, got a lot of traction, and then within days later, the Liberals came out with one with no dollar figure attached to it. It was basically, we'll figure it out as we go. And that seems to be a, a, a way that they seem to be looking at how to do this. Let me talk about what's happening. Uh, what, so we're seeing some really interesting stuff in the last couple of days in the polls. We're seeing this shifting around and, and their polls. So we got to be careful in their snapshots and so on. But it... it when you look at them over the last week or so, you see a steady march by the Bloc Québécois in the province of Quebec in the polls. And I'm, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on the notion that 
maybe what's starting to sink in, notwithstanding what we've heard from both Mr. Scheer and Mr. Trudeau, and it was really evident in the, in the French language debate last night where they both took on Yves-Francois Blanchet, one saying, you know, you're a friend of, Fra Mr. Scheer saying you're a friend of Francois Legault today and defending Quebec interests the next day after the election, you'll be working for the Parti Québécois trying to get us a referendum again and working on sovereignty. And the Prime Minister saying a vote for Yves-Francois Blanchet, Prime Minister, Liberal leader, saying a vote for... Who's the Prime Minister? Still is. A, a, vote, a vote for Yves-Francois Blanchet is a vote for more Harper rates in Ottawa. And yet the, the bloc keeps moving up in the polls, and I'm wondering if that what's settling in this narrative, if it's going to be a minority government, don't be scared off by what these two leading parties tell you. What are your thoughts? I think that's possible. I think um, people have always uh, voted strategically in the past. I think there will be strategic voting again in ridings across the country, and I think there'll be some Quebecers who decide that, you know, Blanchet in, in Quebec... Uh, in Ottawa, maybe doing so, thinking that he's going to do something for him might be worthwhile. Maybe rural Quebec is looking back at them again because they weren't so keen on the NDP. Uh, I do think I, I still think it's going to be a minority government. Um, so, but I do, and I think people will um, will continue to vote strategically, which includes voting who they want, uh, who they want to vote for, or also voting to make sure they keep somebody out. There were two French language debates, and the Quebec voters looked at those two debates, and and I think that they were they are disappointed in the Trudeau Liberals. They uh, don't want to go back to the Stephen Harper days, and uh, the progressive voters I think are looking at the Bloc and increasingly the NDP in in the province of Quebec. Jagmeet Singh was there today, and he was you know he was it was impossible to move with him. There were so many people who wanted to talk to him. Fred? This is a fascinating election where I don't, it's not a change election necessarily where people are driving which way they're going to go. They're not sure they're going to toss the government out or not. Um, it's more of a uh, who do you want to see governing the province or the country, sorry. Uh, and I think that's what's going to come down to it. I don't think it's going to be so much strategic voting, but it's who do you want to see as your member of parliament and who do you want to see in government? Well, and what vision do you want for the country? And this is what I've been saying to people. I understand that people don't always like the leaders of each of our parties, but I encourage people always to look at the vision of each of those parties and the, the overall, like what they're going to do for the country and to the country. And I think people are going to be looking at that. Well, I think that's what's really, I agree. It's not, it doesn't, normally in a change election, we see that in the polls. We see the, we ask a question, do you want change? And yeah, and then then it's where, who do you want the yeah, change to be? It doesn't even matter who they vote for. Right, right? we don't Just see that in this one. But what we do, I think what's kind of interesting in, uh, with what you're saying is that if uh, if it's what's on offer and look at vision, clearly there's this stalemate in the two biggest parties in terms of vision. They're, they're tied in the polls, essentially. That makes me wonder if all of that, all of those other parties don't become more important because maybe what people ultimately want is a, a little bit of everything and they want everybody to have input, which means that's the minority election scenario, right? And then you can start to do the strategic voting. You can start to think of a lot of things as, you know, it's a little bit down in the weeds, but the weeds don't scare us here, right? We, we like weeds. It's the question, okay, well, if it's going to be a minority, which one? So if it's a conservative minority, how long could a conservative minority government actually last with this makeup of parliament? That starts to become a, a part of your formulation. If it's well, a liberal government, where do they find allies and what happens? I know that's well ahead of the game, but I think I'm not convinced people aren't starting to have that conversation. Well, and I'm really hearing from a lot of people that they're kind of, uh, you know, it's bringing back the disappointment that there was in the, not having electoral reform, right? Not, not moving beyond the first past the post so that you have uh, the liberals, for instance, saying, as they always do, you can't afford to vote for the NDP because then you'll get Andrew Scheer. And people are looking at that and going, yeah, but if you had actually kept your promise 
and done something on electoral reform, that would not be the case. And but is no, no, but, Andrew Scheer. no but, but but isn't again isn't all of that muted if you are convinced as the polls suggest it's going to be a minority parliament. So even if I get Andrew Scheer, I have all these other checks. I think people And even will, if I get Justin Trudeau, I have all these other checks. I think uh, how do I want to say this? There's one. There's the national poll, right? And I think it does get skewed by the heavy concentration, for example, the Conservatives out west, right? I mean, that really skews sure, the numbers absolutely. dramatically. So I think when you look at the regions, the, the gaps are a little mm -hmm. bit bigger than that. I think people uh, are going to, at Thanksgiving weekend, sit back and say, am I doing okay? Is the country on the right track? Who can keep us going on this track or who's going to veer it dr dramatically in a direction I really either don't like, don't think we can afford, et cetera. I think they're going to land okay. on the Liberals largely. There will be some parts of the country where people, you know, change their mind. I think we're going to see a few more block seats than we thought. But What do you want people to think about this weekend, Fred? Well, I think it, this is an interesting weekend. It is a holiday weekend uh, throughout most of the country. The whole uh, country. Uh, Everybody uh, gets turkey. Uh, <laughs> in Atlanta, Canada, where I'm from, it's not a stat holiday on Monday, unfortunately. What? Yeah. What? Um, <laughs> Should be. Um, so I think there'll be a lot of discussion. Who's got that on the this. platform? Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> right. We didn't fix that. Uh, <laughs> ten more days. Yeah. Um, the uh, no Canadians will be talking about this election this weekend because families will get together even if they don't have the day off Monday. Uh, they'll have this discussion, and I, what I think they'll be talking about is you know is it time to get ahead? That's what we want them talking about. Is it time to actually go forward and to be able to, to uh, have more money in our pocket and to see the country and themselves go ahead? And I, I agree with both Susan and Fred that this is an incredible important weekend, uh, Thanksgiving weekend. I'm happy that it's happening now uh, as we see the personal approval ratings for Jagmeet Singh r rise incredibly, like dramatically over the last couple of weeks. Um, uh, people will be looking going, you know, I kind of like that guy and they'll take they'll take a second look and I think that the votes will move. What will be fun is to see is we can double check all this like Tuesday, Wednesday next week. We can start uh -huh. to see what, what the polls yes, look yes, like yes. and we'll see how much, we'll, we'll know what people talked about over the weekends because it'll start to be reflected. Advanced polls Thank you too this week. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, so I was just going to yeah, say this it. weekend. Yeah. yeah, and it looks like the turnout's pretty good at yeah. them. So take care. Thank you. Well, the election landscape may be changing as we speak, and perhaps rapidly. We still have a tight race at the top of the polls between Liberals and Conservatives, but it's the resurgence of the Bloc Québécois that appears to be whittling away at any overall Liberal seat advantage that we'd seen till now in the polling. So what is happening? David Coletto, the CEO of Abacus Data, is with me now. David, good to see you again, as always. What's going on with Yves-François Blanchet? Big target in the debate last night. Uh, he seems to be impressing, and he certainly you know, uh, boosting the, the party hopes yeah. and party polling results in the province of Quebec. How come? I mean, I think it's because he's appealed to people. He's uh, come off as uh, a normal average guy with some personality, which typically is why people like people. I think he's, he's done a good job. I think there's other context around his own performance that helps explain, I think, what's going on. And we're seeing it in other parts of the country as well. And that is, you know, as this campaign has gone on, more and more Canadians, I think, have come to see it as a very close race in the first case. Two, that it's unlikely maybe that either of the two main parties would win a majority. And so the risk of if you vote, you know, Bloc, you get Stephen Harper, you get Andrew Scheer, or if you vote Bloc, you get Justin Trudeau, as a majority government, disappears. And the risk of electing a caucus full of Bloc MPs off to Ottawa dissipates, right? That if your goal is defend my interests in Ottawa, and there's no one party that has, a, has control of the House of Commons, 
then that gives those individual MPs a lot of power. I think that's part of the context in it. Certainly a good performance in a debate, as he did in the TVI debate um, previously, I think helped put him on the platform. It allowed the media in Quebec, I think, to talk about something other than the fight between the Liberals and the Conservatives. And so that also probably helped in his, in his case. But there's no doubt across a number of polls that the bloc is up and they are threatening both the Liberals, yeah, let's, the NDP, and the Conservatives. Let's talk about that because, I mean, if you look at expectations, the Liberals were counting on Quebec, yeah. knowing they would take losses in other parts of the country. Uh, they were counting on Quebec uh, to build seats, to win the seats they might lose in other parts of the country in terms of, of offset numbers. Now they're talking about uh, defending seats. They're talking, the Liberals are looking at the possibility of yeah. losing seats because of this block resurgence. Same for the Conservatives. They weren't hoping to build as many, but the ones they were hoping to build, they may not build now. And of course, you talk about the threat to the block. So, you know, you know what do you think the voters are considering there mm -hmm. in the province of Quebec when they're at this point, 10 days to go, they're going, you know what? Whatever, I'm going, you know, I, like, I'm going, I like this guy and yeah, I'm going yeah. for him. I think, I think it's a part of all of that, right? So we, we've seen in Quebec, um, Mr. Shear's numbers go down. I think he had a bad performance. The, the polls after that debate, the first French language debate showed he did not win that debate. He, he, he lost it pretty clearly. That then triggered a lot of voters then saying, okay, so who else am I open to? And Mr. Blanchet performed very well. And when we ask voters in the surveys that we're doing who are considering or are voting for the BQ, and we say, what's driving this? Is it the leader? Is it your dislike for another party? Is it an issue? Or is it defending Quebec's interests? Almost all of them say it's because I'm looking for somebody who's going to defend our interests in and Quebec. And that's the message he plays every, every single time he talks at these debates. That's what he always says. He exactly. always says, look, you guys fight over all these things. I'm all about Quebec and only Quebec. If it's something good for the whole country, and it benefits Quebec yeah. too. You can count on me to vote for it in the House of Commons. But at the end of the day, if it's not good for Quebec, you have an enemy in me. Right? And and even and the threat of separation doesn't exist by voting BQ because they can't call a referendum, right? So even though we know from research we've done and others that support for for separating Quebec from Canada is as probably as low as it's ever been, it's ironic that the separatist party could actually see a boost in the number of seats right. and a surge. And, and that's that interesting because the case Andrew Scheer made in, in the French debate last night was, right, was, yeah, you had this sort of two-tiered attack from the, the two main federal leaders, right. uh, Justin Trudeau saying, if you vote for the bloc, you get Harperism again. You get Harperites like Andrew Scheer. And if you vote for, and Scheer is saying, if you vote for the bloc Québécois, you get the whole referendum and sovereignty debate reignited because the day after the vote, yep. Yves-Francois Blachette is going to be back in the camp of the Parti Québécois pushing sovereignty, right? But uh, voters don't, they're I don't not think thinking they're that they're feeling way. that. And, and even if, I mean, you have to keep in mind, if the bloc, let's say, I'm just hypothetically saying, they get to 30 to 35 percent of the vote. A lot of them though. voting for them are separatists. They have a core vote that are separatists. But the others that might come over I don't think are feeling that this is them voting for separation or sovereignty. This is them voting for um, either their preferred candidate or leader um, or, again, defending the party that has the best chance of defending Quebec interest, particularly in a minority government situation. If this was a one-sided affair that the Liberals or the Conservatives were running away with this, I'm not sure the bloc has this space uh, because you'd want to be part of that government. But the arguments that, that you know Mr. Trudeau was making even was that you want MPs around the table who are on the, around the cabinet table in a, in a majority government, the best way to do that is vote for us. That's looking yeah. less and less clear. And if voters you, are aware of the, 
you know, the yeah, stakes. People know that the, the flip side of that argument is if we're going to have a minority government, you can you can have anybody you want around exactly. the table then, because yeah. they can maybe they actually have more power right. to get what they want out of the government. So let's look a bit. You know, we we had the last of the debates last night, the French language debate. Yeah. So we'll find out in the next uh, few days as survey results come out what kind of impact that had. But we can sort of let's go back to the English debate earlier yeah. this week and start tracking sort of what you found there in terms of where opinions are, what people are thinking, and what might be shifting, and then we'll. We'll talk about what to watch for over the weekend. Sure. So, but let, let's go back to the English debate. And yeah. you asked people, uh, did you watch? What, like, what do we know about who was watching? Well, most Canadians have heard or watched at least part of the debate, right? That's what we know. Um, about 32% say they, they haven't heard much about it or, or not at all. Um, there was a large audience for this debate. Um, now, it's important that there's a difference between those who watched all of it or some of it and those that heard about it. And this is where that, like halo effect of the media coverage of it, of the commentary that comes after these debates are so important. Why those clips that we see on social media over and over right. matter because that 25% um, are also considering sort of the fallout of these debates. What we know though when we ask people, how did you react to it, right? If we put that board up that shows how, how do you feel about the leader's performance? Right, let's look at it. What's pretty clear uh, is that Jagmeet Singh performed very well. Uh, and he impressed a lot of voters. Over half of those that either watched or heard about the debate say they had a pe positive impression of Jagmeet Singh's performance. Only 11% said negative. Elizabeth May did also did quite well, right? Um, very few said they, they heard anything they didn't like. A lot saying, eh, it didn't really change my impression, but pretty good positive numbers. If you look at the bottom of it, we'll come to the middle in a minute. Max Bernier turned off more people likely than he, he attracted, uh, as did uh, Mr. Blanchette, which is expected given that you know, most, of the vote, most of those watching this debate don't live in Quebec or don't speak, uh, speak, English, uh, speak French. And so his, his audience was very different. But the two in the middle, Mr. Scheer and Mr. Trudeau, what's interesting is about equal numbers liked what they heard versus disliked what they heard. And so in a way, although this, I think, debate had an impact on this election so far, it didn't hurt Mr. Scheer or Mr. Trudeau in significant ways in terms of what they said on the debate stage, but because one of their competitors did so much better, mm -hmm. as we'll see in a minute, um, from, from the public's minds, that it might be affecting how people are going to considering voting. So at let's look at the next two boards here. Who did the most to, in the English debate to earn your vote? Who did the most to lose it? So what do you see on when it comes to earning votes? So earning votes, Mr. Scheer, uh, sorry, look, I'm making the same mistake that the moderator is making. Mr. <laughs> Singh uh, came out uh, ahead of both Mr. Trudeau and Mr. Scheer, 29% to 23% for, for the two um, other party leaders. Ms. May well back at 7%. So, so Mr. Singh, you know, you could say won this debate. People thought he did the best. And given that, that more voters are considering voting liberal or conservative, I think it is noteworthy that, that Singh went well ahead even of what people say they'd vote. When we ask who did the most to lose your vote, um, a clear picture in the sense that, you know, Andrew Scheer got 35, um, Trudeau not far behind at 30, and then everybody else kind of tails off. So again, that polarization between Mr. Trudeau and Mr. Scheer on this question shows us the opportunity that Mr. Singh has in, in being the one that more people said, I like what I heard. I think what's really interesting, let's move ahead to today. So we had the French language debate last night, and where's the first place? You know, uh, given Battleground Quebec, you'd think one of the first places you'd want to go is let's go back to Quebec and see what we can do there, and maybe that's coming. But both Justin Trudeau and Andrew Scheer head straight out to British Columbia. Right. That tells me a couple of things. Uh, they need to, you know, shore up support there or compete in seats out there, and it means 
I don't know if it's too early to say it means they know what's going on in Quebec and they can't rescue that. So now they're out to British Columbia to try and defend that. And they're, up, they're defending it probably against a rising NDP, where there's a more natural constituency, uh, a lot more seats in play that the NDP has a role. So if the NDP is gaining, they're unlikely to gain in Quebec, um, not just because, you know, uh, I think the NDP is going to still have a hard time in Quebec. Right. But if they are moving, as we've seen in the polls this week, Mr. Singh's personal numbers up substantially. Um, the NDP vote numbers a little lagging behind, but they're starting to move forward. And so when you look at the regions of the country where the NDP is likely to benefit from this boost, BC is, in the, is, is certainly in that, that group. And there's a lot of ridings on Vancouver Island and the lower mainland that might, we thought, we're no longer going to be three-way races that increasingly become three, maybe four-way races now because the NDP has a little bit of momentum that they didn't have. any Really, up yeah. until uh, Monday, we weren't seeing much. So Thanksgiving weekend and this, I don't know if it's the real thing or if it's a myth, families get together and it's supposed to, you know, election time and turkey and election talk. Yeah. Uh, probably some football sprinkled yeah. in there too. But in any case, uh, what do you watch for now? What Do, you, do we see if... I mean, if we come through Thanksgiving weekend and you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, it still looks the same. Is that likely what we're stuck with then? Likely. Um, if we don't see one of these parties' momentum continue, I think what we learned from 2015 was that the liberal, liberals coming out of Vancouver, out of Vancouver, out of Thanksgiving weekend, had some momentum. And then in the final days of the campaign, it kind of spiked up as, right. as collectively people said, OK, I think this will be our choice for change. I'm watching to see whether that happens again. And it's not necessarily, I think, going to happen with either the Liberals or the Conservatives. I think a lot of voters know, those, know those, what those two choices mean. Right. What I'm not still clear of is whether this goodwill that's now being bestowed upon Mr. Singh, um, I think the bloc is likely going to hold on to the momentum they've gained. So the, so the real big question is what happens to the NDP? Does this become viral? Do, in particular, young voters say... Jugmeet Singh's what I've been waiting for, and now I see it. And that would mean a sinking in, in some ways, of this narrative that the bloc's leading, right? You know, yep. like it's going to be a minority parliament. Make the choice you want in Quebec. Which is, Maybe this, this is the narrative Jugmeet Singh. Which is, is why he laid out his, you know, six conditions. Right. Not because he's ready to negotiate, but because he's signaling to voters this election will end in a, you know, some kind of stalemate. No one's going to get all the keys to the House. If you want, Here's NDP, we'll if you want me around that table putting pressure, uh, you got to vote NDP. All right, David Coletto, thanks. Thanks, Peter. Well, it's another eventful Friday in the campaign, and with 10 days to go, uh, this Thanksgiving weekend uh, is very important. Let's bring in three colleagues from the Parliamentary Press Gallery. Mia Rapson is a parliamentary correspondent with the Canadian Press. Bob Fife, Parliamentary Bureau Chief for the Globe and Mail, and Alex Ballingall is a parliamentary reporter with the Toronto Star. Good to see you all. Hi. Thanks, Thanks for being here. Um, let's start. Uh, let me start with the party platforms. Let's start there today. And we have the Conservative platform, Costed. We have the NDP platform, which has been out but now Costed. Um, so, Mia, let me start with you. Uh, when you look at the Conservative platform, I mean, what are viewers, do viewers have clearly something to pick from here in terms of what the parties are offering? Uh, maybe not from the platforms itself. I mean, there are some things that distinguish them, particularly on climate change is one particular issue. Uh, I mean, for example, the Conservatives and the Liberals both offering tax cuts in different ways, but that add up to sort of similar dollars in the end. So on that front, not necessarily, but it's it's about the deficits. The Conservatives say they will be back in a balance between in five years. Yeah, by putting off infrastructure yeah. projects and by uh, taking on the public service. The question, of course, is do we, how can you believe, how much of that can you believe? A lot of it is sort of in, in the other category. We're going to find, you know, 
we're going to make government be better, be tighter. I think, you know, su suggested, you know, public servants might actually have to sit in smaller cubicles, like save money. Selling off 30% of the government real estate. Uh, yeah. You know, There's one that's just about... Footprint, uh, freezing the public service. Repealing some measures from budget 2019, but right. doesn't actually say what measures from budget 2019. So there is definitely a lot of sort of questions about how these numbers are actually going to work. But on paper, the Conservatives do say they will get back to balance. And of course, the, none of the other parties actually have a balance within the five years. Right. Is, is, what, what did you see in this platform today, Alex? Um, the thing that jumped out at me was uh, uh, I was hoping to see a bit more answers around how the climate, their climate plan is going to work, specifically around um, their measure to force heavy emitters to pay a certain amount. Right. Uh, they still haven't said exactly how that's going to work. So, and I feel like that's a major piece of how they would give candidates best chance to achieve the Paris targets. And I think there's still a lot of question marks around how they would actually reduce emissions with this plan. What questions do you have after seeing Well, this plan? both the, <clears throat> all of the platforms, we shouldn't put any money on them as being true at all. The Liberals won, forget it. The NDP won, they're spending $30 billion a year, $130 billion over four years. Uh, duh, nobody can afford that. Uh, and the conservative plan where they're planning, they're going to balance the budget by all these kind of cuts, and some of them are mystery cuts. We, we don't know anything about them. So I don't think uh, voters should pay a lot of attention to that. Uh, the issue, and I, and I think it's, in some ways, Peter, I think it's too late for people to really be thinking about um, you know, whether this platform is costed or not. Right. Now people are, are getting to the crunch time. Who do I think is best going to be the best leader to run the country? And that we don't know yet. It looks like the Liberals are going to squeak by with a minority, but my God, it's going to be a close one. And we've seen a lot of, the, like just in the last 48 hours, we've seen the, the ground change, and I think we might see a change tomorrow, and, and largely, Mia, because of this surge that we're seeing in the province of Quebec by the Bloc Québécois, eating into Liberal support, eating into Conservative support. Uh, it was probably already eating into NDP support, but suddenly it's changed all of the calculations about possibilities here and, and who might end up in the in the prime minister's chair at the end of the, of the night on October 21st, right? Absolutely. I mean, they. you're right. I mean, the first the block sort of first came for the NDP voters. The NDP was doing very poorly in Quebec, even leading into the election. Most of that, it was going to the block. And then after the TVA debate last week, Andrew Scheer had a very poor, weak performance there, had some comments, particularly about social issues like abortion, and his numbers just started to tank in Quebec. And then I saw, it was sort of a funny tweet, they said, okay, now they've come for the conservative liberals, they're coming for your votes next. And that is exactly what is starting. And happen. normally what happens in the, historically in the province of Quebec, if you look at over past elections, that's kind of what happens. When the bloc is on the rise, it typically eats into conservative support. And if it keeps going, then it starts eating into liberal support. What do you think is driving this narrative, Alex? That um, suddenly they're sort of back in the game in a big way. I think a lot of it is, if, is the performance of Blanchette at, at the, the debates. I think he's, he's done quite well. Um, I think also sort of... A, uh, an issue like Bill 21, having the federal leader sort of uh, trying to like straddle a, a, an uncomfortable position on that and then having Blanchette just be able to be like the defender of Quebec values blatantly, um, I think maybe that has helped the dynamic. But, but beyond, I, I honestly don't, I don't have the, the full understanding yeah, all the time. Look, look, I think a lot, of, a lot of this lands on Mr. Trudeau's uh, table. I mean, let's face this, he should be, have a commanding lead in Quebec, and he did actually originally. Mm -hmm. Uh, because he's, he's a Quebecer, and they tend to rally around their own, as we've seen with Brian Mulroney, and we saw it with uh, 
with his father, Pierre Trudeau, and we've seen it. We saw it even with Gretchen. In the worst periods of the time, Gretchen kept increasing his vote in Quebec. But Mr. Trudeau's got a problem here, and I think it's, and it's one we're starting to see happen across the country. It, we saw it, in, it's, it's there very significantly in Western Canada. It now seems to be a problem in British Columbia where it looks like a pretty tough three-way race there. Mm -hmm. And he did very well coming out of British Columbia in, in 2015. Ontario now is, the, is uh, the place where it may save Mr. Trudeau's bacon because it do, it, it, it's not going to be Quebec now. We all thought that he, after Atlantic Canada, he'd lose some seats in Atlantic Canada, but he'd sweep through Quebec. And then he'd uh, he'd any uh, losses he was going to have in other parts of the country he was going to be able to make up make for in up Quebec, and Quebec and Ontario. And Ontario. And that doesn't to seem to be yeah, that yeah. doesn't seem to be the case yeah. now. Both him and the Tory. <clears throat> and so you know people are questioning Mr. Uh, Shear's leadership if he doesn't win, but maybe some liberals should start questioning Mr. Trudeau's leadership because it's very very rare when you win a big majority government that yeah. you don't come back with another majority. And the two things that are facing Trudeau elsewhere in the country that are dogging him the most, SNC-Lavalin and the, the blackface issue, not really a big issue in Quebec. So the question, of course, then is, well, what is facing him in Quebec? And it may just be, he's What's just... the environment? It's the environment and, and not really that inspiring to, to people right now. And it's sort of like wonder, nobody wants any of the leaders. And I wonder how much of it is that, is that, you know, we didn't start to see this shift until people got to see Yves-Francois Blanchet yeah. perform in the debates, right? And, right. and make mm -hmm. this case that, look... Uh, he's he, a great performer. He's also, we now have three parties in the election, you know, pushing this narrative that, you know, it's going to be a minority parliament, so just vote for whoever you want. We might get better things in a minority parliament than we can get if either two of these parties, liberal or conservative, are actually in charge. So make the choices you want. He's really hammering that hard. And I'm wondering if that's starting to convince, you know, those Quebec voters who've said, you know, he's, he's right, it's going to be a minority parliament, so I do want someone who's looking after Quebec. I'm voting bloc. Quebec also has this tendency to, to, to move in, in, in blocks. <laughs> I'm sorry to use a very bad pun. Yeah. Small B blocks. <laughs> Small B yeah. blocks. You know, they, they, went to the, they swept to the NDP. In, provincially, they swept to the Coalition Avenir Quebec, and now it looks like they're moving back. They have this tendency in Quebec to, when they, things start to move, they move big in one direction. And away. it's hard to stop that freight train. So the Liberals, if they want to, to hang on to this, they got a yeah. big job to do yeah. in the next the two other thing is they have a problem. And this used to work successfully for the, for the Liberals when they were in tight races with the conservatives, they were able to say, if you don't progress us, if you don't come to us, the conservatives are going to win a majority government and we're going to be in trouble if yeah. you, because you don't, they don't share those values. Well, that's not the case now, is it? Because it's clear that Mr. Shear's conservatives are not going to win a majority government and it doesn't even look like they're close to even maybe even winning a minority at this particular point so it's safer for people to say okay well I'll, uh, liberals are going to win a minority but I'll, I'm going to support my candidate. That's interesting. Uh, NDP uh, platform out today uh, costed uh, the rest of it out today and Bob touched on it I mean it's basically it's all it's all hinging on hiking corporate tax cuts capital gains uh, it, it's really sort of aimed at wealthier Canadians and making making them pay the freight. Is there anything we didn't know here? Uh, it, no, I don't think so. I mean, there's a lot of big ticket items in there. $10 billion for universal child care, $10 billion for pharmacare. These are huge spending programs and things that, that you know, a lot of Canadians might be a bit nervous about the idea of how much these programs are costing and are they really realistic that we can roll these, these especially because neither of those programs can you do without the province. And cost uncertainty around these is pointed out by the parliamentary budget officer. Yeah, especially around the, like the, the new like super wealth tax yeah. and sort of the ones that we haven't seen in Canada before. Um, I guess like the behavioral response of 
of the super super rich that would <laughs> pay it. Like I with the, it the money split it around. Jagmeet Singh said today when asked about that, you know, what, what, they'll just go out and hire accountants and avoid. They'll find ways to avoid paying. The, he said, well, that's why we only made it one percent. Because we figure if we only make it 1%, they'll just look at the 1% and go, it's, it'll cost me as much to get accountants to fight it, I'll just pay it. It is 1% per year, though, I guess. So I would say yeah, it, just, that, well, it would be 1% every year, so maybe it would end up, maybe not one year, it wouldn't be worth it. It must be nice to be confronted be. with that dilemma. Bob. <laughs> much money. So am I going to waste this on accountants or just pay it, or just send it well, out the door? You know, there was a former head of EY, which is a major chartered accountant firm, said, look, we pay our, guy, our best guys $700,000 a year. and." Revenue Canada pays them maybe a hundred grand. Um, who do you think is going to win in this one? Now, if they were smart enough to hire our guys and pay them seven hundred thousand dollars a year, we'd end. The, we'd have the, a government, pile of money. the government would have a pile of money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's let's finish up uh, a couple well, a couple of quick things before we do. So why are why is there talk about any speculation, Bob? You've written about this about Andrew Shear's leadership even before we get the vote. Well, he he, this was his best. Conservatives' best time. Uh, Mr. Trudeau headed into this election wounded by SNC Lablin. The black face hurt him. He hasn't performed all that well in the campaign, and people are questioning his authenticity. And here you have a chance, or at least many conservatives think that this is a chance where they could have beaten him. And he hasn't been able to grow the conservative vote, and he hasn't. He hasn't. How do, how do they think he hasn't performed well? How do they think he's like? like <coughs> What do they think he's not done? Like, where where has he missed? Has he missed? Well, I mean, in, has he missed in Quebec? Has well, look, he, dual know, citizenship. Yeah. I mean, that was right. a classic example. That was a gimme. Uh, well, you, you didn't get ahead of this. Uh, are you crazy? And then he says, "Well, nobody asked me the question." He didn't get ahead of the fact that he he wasn't a, uh, an insurance broker that he claimed for 15 years or so. I mean, this is Mickey Mouse stuff that should have amateur stuff that should have been dealt with before the election campaign. It took him about six weeks to finally be clear on his personal stance on abortion, and that's what I'm hearing from a lot of conservatives. That was really frustrating to them because the liberals do this constantly. They're always right. saying, "You know, they're going to reopen the abortion debate. They should have seen this coming for three." Years. So you can go through you can and go through this for four hours, yeah. or you can go through exactly. it for ten and, days, right? And right. so they've been very frustrated about how long it took and how long it, they, sort of the leash that they were able to get the Liberals on this. But then I've also heard people mention that the citizenship thing is is really bothering them. They're like, you knew last winter when SNC was happening that you could be the prime minister. You knew it was becoming more realistic, and you still didn't do anything about it until August, mm. and you didn't tell anyone. There's well, a lot of frustration amongst conservatives. Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, what are you watching for, Alex? Uh, after this, I mean, it, this is supposed to be whether it's true or not. This is when everybody gets together and mm -hmm. families get together and talk about turkey. A lot of families just get together and fight at Thanksgiving. But apparently, <laughs> maybe it'll be, that's our family. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe it'll be over Looking politics. To that, first of all, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I mean, uh, are we watching to see if this weekend moves stuff? And, yeah, you know? I, I think we were sort of talking about it before. Uh, before the show, um, the NDP, like if if there's movement there, if, if we do have this sort of minority, most likely scenario, um, will will progressive voters then move to the NDP and feel more comfortable like, not like, voting? If they're deciding the block's okay in a minority parliament. Let's start. Maybe do it. Maybe in the rest the of Canada NDP, could go NDP or yeah. the Greens or even yeah. Quebec. Yeah, or yeah. So movement there, I think, would be one thing I'd watch for over the next Bob, few days. What do you think? Uh, I'm absolutely going to be glued to the uh, polls coming Tuesday and Wednesday. Wednesday will probably have a really good idea if this election is firming up and who is likely to form a minority government. We usually by that, by this stretch of the campaign, we should be in. starting to have an, a good idea. And, and we'll also see whether, right now the percentage of undecided is about 14%. That should drop uh, by midweek. 
Yeah, I think this is about the time in the last election where that liberal push really started to, to, to be apparent. You started to see it going into the Thanksgiving weekend. And so I do, I'm just sort of watching to see what the parties have in store for, for, for you know, their announcements are done. They really don't have any more promises to put Pretty on the table. It's all about so now it's about hammering it home and, and do, their mess, do their messages change. We saw the Conservatives go a bit more negative this week, for example. All right. Thank you all. We'll talk again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's all for another edition of Primetime Politics on CPAC, the cable public affairs channel. I'm Peter Van Dusen. Thanks for watching. Stay with us. More Vote 2019 coverage straight ahead.